Well, ladies and gentlemen, the big D is invading the Big Apple. Yes, UFC 295 hits Madison Square Garden this Saturday night with one of the biggest cards of 2023. Before I bring in my uh, UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Smoky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. See all my content. Football, I mean, it is fall, but uh, generally football, but UFC, all kinds of sports. Also, check out the Big E podcast for all the audio listeners, Spotify and Apple. So, uh, joining me to discuss all things UFC 295, Action Network, Fantasy Labs, whatever else he's writing for right now, uh, Billy Ward. So, uh, Billy, uh, the Big Apple, UFC, this is shaping up to be one of the biggest calls of the year, right? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. You know, obviously this was supposed to be John Jones versus Stipe Miocic, which people were excited about because like a legacy thing or whatever. But no one really thought that was going to be a close fight. Now we have two of the actual best heavyweights in the world fighting for a title, the way one would suggest maybe it should be all the time, you know, if this were a meritocracy. I like that we're kind of moving the heavyweight division into a new era here with Pavlovich and Aspinall. We just saw Gilton Almeida with a dominant performance. He's probably got next to whoever wins this one. And then, you know, Yuri P coming back from the worst shoulder injury in the history of shoulders to take on Alex Pahea, who obviously already was a middleweight champion, was massive for the division, looked decent at 205 against Jan Blahovich, but, you know, had some issues there. So should be a really fun card at the top. Not a ton of names that you've probably heard of once we get down the card a little bit. UFC kind of banking on those two main fights to sell the card. But if you're a hardcore fan, there's definitely some spots to look at down the card as well that I'm excited about. How do you think uh, How do you think the Neosha-John Jones fight would have paired out? Obviously, we don't know how it would have paired out because that fight won't happen. But how do you think that fight would have played out? Yes, we do. What do you mean we don't know? John Jones would have killed him. Stipe Miocic is like a 41-year-old firefighter who doesn't really want to fight anymore. Like, he was just coming back because he was going to get a Brinks truck full of money to fight John Jones. Like, cool and all, Stipe would have, you know, put up a fight a little bit, but we saw how John Jones immediately grappled Serial Gan and made him look like a child. Stipe, never the best grappler. It would have been a similar fight, in my opinion. Maybe takes a little longer, but yeah, we know how that one would have gone. Come on. Yeah, it would have been one. Yeah, I think we both agree it would have been one sided, right? It would have been, it wouldn't have been a question who won the fight, but how long the fight would have lasted. Yeah. And that's kind of why I like what happened to the card because, you know, Jones is theoretically the heavyweight champ here, even though Nagano never lost it. But Jones, you know, probably pretty easily defends that against Stipe. It's not like John Jones is fighting every four or five months. It'd probably be another year before we saw him. He might retire before he lets Sergey or Tom Aspinall or Jalton Almeida get a shot. Now, with those guys winning the interim title, we can pretend John Jones is the heavyweight title. We can let the people who actually want to fight and stay active fight over the interim. Makes the division a lot more fun. Yeah, and also now the UFC can UFC can have guys who actually want to fight instead of fight what once in a blue moon just right off into the sunset yeah i mean and there's a lot of talk that both jones and miocic were likely to retire after that fight 
So if they still want to do that when Jones is healthy sometime next summer or next fall, great, do that. We can let the division move on. We can have these young up-and-comers. It's kind of quietly one of the more exciting times for the heavyweight division in a long time. You know, I just mentioned Jai Eelton. We've got the two guys fighting tonight. I can't remember the last time we've had, like, three legitimate, exciting contenders as at heavyweight, especially who are still more or less in their prime. You know, so it's kind of fun to see what happens with those three. Gets a little thin behind them, so I don't think we can look two, three fights in the future. But by heavyweight standards, this is pretty stacked, you know? And then maybe we can talk Francis to coming back at some point or some of these other guys coming up who have looked decent. So, fun time. Maybe we get Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury fighting in the octagon. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Fury would have absolutely obviously never do that Deontay Wilder said he might so that would be fun but wouldn't be the octagon it would be the PFL smart cage <laughs> I actually think that Ghana might be in the PFL next year he's supposed to but if he gets another you know eight-figure contract to fight a boxing match they're gonna let him go do that instead yeah so yeah let's get back be... on uh, 295 here because we got a couple title fights to break down yeah, we've got a very fascinating light heavyweight bout between Yuri P and Alex Bahia. Wow. I'm like, I, I, I knockout power against knockout power. I'm guessing uh, this fight's going to, I'm guessing this fight's going to end one way for either guy, right? Yeah, I mean, we've seen Yuri get some submissions in the, fa- in the past, and Bahia's grappling has gotten better you know, in this time he spent training with Glover. So I don't think it's, you know, all all stand-up war here. I think Yuri probably needs to make this a striking match, or a grappling match, I'm sorry. Or, you know, make it a crazy striking match with spinning stuff and jumping things. Because if he tries to just stand in front of Faye and kickbox, he's going to get knocked out. But, you know, he's the better mixed martial artist, which is, in theory, what we're doing here. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, betting lines on both these title fights are super close. Right now, DraftKings has Yuri as a slight underdog at plus 102 and Pahea at minus 122, which feels about right. But, you know, Pahea's 8,400 for DFS, Prosca's 7,800. I think a lot of that is just due to the injury situation with Yuri. You know, it's been like 18 months since he fought. His shoulder injury was, you know, allegedly one of the worst anyone had ever seen, according to Dana White. So that makes it a little bit interesting. If he was full strength, I think Yuri would probably be the favorite here. You know, he's younger, more well-rounded, got some stuff going for him. But, you know, how much is that that injury going to impact things? So really like this fight. Of the two, it's the one I would stack in DraftKings just because I could see the loser still scoring decently here. Whereas with Pavlovich and Aspinall, if... Aspinall loses, it's probably because he got knocked out on the feet fairly quickly. And if Sergey loses, it's probably because he got taken down right away and doesn't score any points. So whoever doesn't win that one probably scores almost nothing. Whereas this one, I'm hoping we get like a similar fight as we had with Glover, where it's a wild back and forth thing. Both guys doing a ton of stuff, a lot of action, a lot of activity, a lot of fantasy points. And talk about each guy. First, talk about where what, what What would he Because... Yeah, we've seen Yuri P. P in the octagon. He's got a, uh, let me see, how many knockouts? 25 knockouts, a couple of How do you, but to me, I look at Yuri P and think, yeah, he's got the power, but will he try and make this, if not a stand, if not maybe a crazy 
MMA fight, maybe I'll take it to the ground and test pay his cardio at 205. Yeah, I certainly think you. I certainly think he should take it to the ground. I don't know about the cardio. You know, Pahea got the fifth-round knockout over Adesanya. It's kind of, I don't want to say easy, but it's easier to kickbox across a 25-minute fight than it is to be constantly wrestling and looking for takedowns. That just takes more energy. And with him not having as big of a weight cut at 205, I think his cardio will be fine. But, you know, cardio or not, if you're on your back, you're losing. And Yuri can cause some wild scrambles, make some interesting things happen there. But, you know, Paya is really hard to take down. Like, everyone tries to take him down. We know that's what you have to do to beat him. It's not that easy. So that'll be an interesting development there. That's the one of the two where I'm not really trying to pick a side here for DFS. You know, for cash games, I'm just rostering both of them. And then for tournaments, you probably have a couple lineups with each of them and see what happens. And then with Paya, I mean, we've seen the knockout power. He uh, he had finished Izzy Adesanya. One year ago at MSG, so we know what Pay can do. Really, I don't know if he fought a great fight against Jan Bohovitz, but he came on strong in the end and got the decision. But uh, how do you think Pahe is going to going to be in his second fight at two hundred five? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this at uh, two ninety four with guys like Islam. They don't really change their style that much based on who they're fighting because they're so good at one aspect of it. They're going to try to do that no matter who they're fighting. It's not like there's some matchups where Alex Pay is going to decide to pull guard and look for triangles. Like He's going to try to keep the range, kick your legs out, and then knock you out with a big right hand. That Against any human being, there's no one you could put him in there that that wouldn't be his plan. So I think it'll be similar, you know. I, I, the only thing that really changes for uh, Pahea is how much he has to worry about the grappling threat coming back at him. You know, Yuri is also known more as a striker, but can certainly grapple too. You know, not a lot of people can say they submitted Glover Teixeira, even though he did that with, you know, some striking on the ground. He's got underrated scrambles once it gets to the mat, but getting it there, getting it in a position to win some of those wild scrambles is hard against a big, long, strong guy like Pahea. Yeah, and plus it's not and plus, unlike other fights where you maybe didn't have to worry about the knockout power of Glover Teixeira, he's definitely gonna be look uh of the behavior because if he goes for a takedown, guess what? He'll eat a right hand. Yeah, I, that's the one thing I haven't really seen. You know, Derek Lewis has been a master at this of catching you as you come in for a takedown. I haven't seen that part of Paya's game, which is something where if he added would be real scary. But if he can time some of those knees or uppercuts, he doesn't really do that. He he kind of switches into grappling mode, right? He sees you shoot. He's like, okay, this is how I defend shots. This is how I sprawl. This is how I work for underhooks, which is not wrong, of course. So I don't worry too much about that for Yuri. I don't think he's just going to like, turn into Brock Lesnar, stand in front of him, blast double, go. I think if he can set it up, get some angles, throw a spinning elbow or a back fist or some crazy strikes, get Pahey worried about that and then drop for a leg, I think that's how it'll happen if he gets a takedown. You know, just the more chaos happens in this fight, the better for Prohaska. And the more of a traditional, like, straightforward mixed martial arts match we have, the better it is for Pahey. Um, do you think... Uh... How long do you think this fight goes? Because neither guy has been 25 minutes in the octagon. I think both of them have fifth-round decision wins. But 
You think this fight ends with uh, one MC stalls? I think we see a stoppage here. I'm not as convinced that this one is like right off the gate. You know, Pea actually likes to be fairly cautious early in fights, which is why he's looked so good later in fights because he doesn't empty well, the tank early. When he lost the first round and came on strong at the end. Yeah, exactly. That's just kind of how he fights. Which is another reason why, you know, in terms of DFS, I prefer stacking this one. Both this and Pavlovich Aspinall have the total set at one and a half. But for this fight, over one and a half is minus one, or yeah, minus 160. The other fight is plus 165. So a little bit likelier this one goes long. I think, a, you know, second through fourth round stoppage is probably the likeliest here. I don't think either guy comes out blitzing. But Yuri might, you know, <laughs> like he might always do something crazy. So you can't rule that out. I think Bahia probably makes it a little bit slower to start out, tries to build. He's built for five-round fights. Like, you know, the three-round fight against Blahovich was closer than it should have been. I think you get five rounds out of that one, and he looks a little bit more dominant if he gets the full 25 minutes to work instead of the 15. How do you think Yuri coming back? How do you think Yuri will fare coming off his shoulder injury because he's fall he's hasn't fallen in seventeen months? Yeah, like I said, that's I think this line would be about flipped. Were that not the case, with Yuri as a slight favorite rather than a slight underdog, that's about how much weight I'm giving it to it, right? You know, instead of being minus one twenty or plus one ten or something like that, so it's about five or six percent swing. That's about what I'd give to it. Of course, I'm not saying it's going to have a 5 or 6% impact. I'm saying there's a 5 or 6% chance it has a much bigger impact than that, which is tricky, you know, for someone trying to bet it or, you know, use it in DFS. We don't really know, obviously. There's no way of knowing. I'm guessing with it being almost a year and a half, the shoulder's fine. Of course, there's some cage rush issues that could be the case there, too. So that's, I would say, the bigger concern is just being rusty more than the shoulder still being injured. But we don't know. I mean, other than the people training with him, no one really can say for sure. By the way, how about this stat? Alice Pajaya has fought an MSG the last two years and won both of those fights. Maybe it's just good luck, Sean, finding was the uh, Was the Sean Strickland knockout also there? Uh, no, they, he, no, uh, he beat, uh, Andres, uh, Michael, uh, wait, uh, Michael. Michelides, yeah, I remember that fight. Michelides. The Strickland fight was in Vegas. Yeah, I remember that one. Gotcha. By the way, uh, for, especially with Pahea, how big do you think these guys are, like, the week or two before, while actually cutting weight? Before they start cutting weight? Like, their yeah. walk-around weight? Yeah. I guess probably 225, 230. How did Alex Pahea cut 40 pounds in, like, a week and a half or whatever he does? Well, no, I think he was... I don't think he put on... I'm sorry. I don't think he's the same weight as he was when he was fighting middleweight. I think he's probably put on five or ten pounds at least since then. Probably not the full 20. That's the difference between the weight class. He's he's definitely bigger than he was as a middleweight. But yeah. Guys will do that. <laughs> I'm like, how did Bahia make how did Bahia make 185 when he's a when he's a giant at 205? Yeah, my guess would be he was probably when fighting 185, he probably walked around closer to 210. 
which you know still a massive cut but 210 215 somewhere in there goodness happy for him he picked the right he picked 205 <laughs> yeah it's definitely so, better look for him yeah so now we go from the 205 to an even bigger class when we look at the uh interim heavy interim heavyweight championship belt between Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall. Oh, and uh, what do you see in this fight? Because uh, I'm I'm kind of intrigued what what happens here. I don't think this fight goes very long here. I mean, you you said the odds look pretty good for looked up. Well, yeah, under one and a half for this one is minus two fifteen, which is you know. But hey, we were all saying that about Derek Lewis, Jonathan Almeida last week, and that one went five rounds. So crazier things have happened. With that said, yeah, this is a super fun fight. You know, Pavlovich was supposed to be the backup for the heavyweight title fight. I think that means had Stipe got hurt, maybe he would have backed up Stipe. Obviously, with Jones being hurt, Stipe said, "Yeah, I'm not fighting this you know giant Russian dude. I don't need that in my life." But these guys are both, you know, 30 and 31, which is for heavyweights still very young. Like normally we see those guys peak much later than the lighter weight classes. Pavlovich lost his debut and then has knocked out everybody since, including Derek Lewis, among other people. Just been on a tear. I think it's one, two, three, four, five, six in a row, all in under four minutes or so. And then Aspinall, outside of, you know, tearing his knee against Curtis Blades, undefeated in the UFC, six wins. Only one of them made it to the second round, and that was just barely. So two guys that like to get things done. Very different styles. You know, Sergey Pavlovich is a crazy powerful striker. Probably the most dangerous, like, one-punch guy in the UFC that we have right now. Aspinall has solid boxing, fast hands, but his real strength is his grappling. And we don't see a lot of heavyweights who can grapple that well. I think as long as this one remains on the feet, Aspinall is probably going to land more strikes. Like, he has quicker hands. But all it takes is one from Pavlovich. So, you know, Pavlovich is definitely going to land the more damaging shots, whereas Aspinall needs to be looking for takedowns, but he can't shoot in blindly. You know, guys have tried to take Pavlovich down, much like Alex Bahia. Easier said than done. Curtis Blades couldn't take him down, and obviously Curtis Blades wanted to grapple. He's fought some lesser guys that, you know, tried to, but didn't really have much of a chance. Only person to take him down was Overeem, and that was kind of just because he didn't expect Overeem to take him down as you wouldn't when fighting over him. So it'll be an interesting fight. I'm leaning a little bit towards Pavlovich here, who's a slight underdog. I like that he was already preparing to fight on this card where Aspinall may not have been. And you know, like when one guy needs a takedown, but the other guy can win at any moment without one, we got to start every round on the feet. So even if Aspinall gets a takedown, Pavlovich, big, strong dude, hug, hope for the best, try to see a bell. He gets five chances to do that in theory. So I'm leaning towards Pavlovich here. From a cash game standpoint, really hard to feel good about putting either guy in your lineup just because whoever loses could score zero. But for, you know, GPPs and from a betting standpoint, slightly in towards Pavlovich. Is this is this a fight where you stack both guys in catch and hope and hoping you you just get a win this way? Or you like just hope and pray you pick the right one? I mean, I don't think – we've talked about it when there's multiple five-round fights. Like, you, you don't have to stack both fights no matter what, 
right? Like you're getting that anyway. But especially, no one thinks this is going four or five rounds. And the benefit of stacking a fight is getting those extra rounds. So if we're saying this one ends under one and a half anyway, like pretend it's not a five round fight. We had the 8,800 fight, massive odds to stop, pretty binary fight where one guy is likely to have almost zero points. You probably don't play that fight at all in cash, much less stack it. So I certainly don't think you need to go to this one just because it's a title fight. I, Like I said, I'm leaning towards Pavlovich. If the salaries work out and I can make it work where I get up to him and it feels better than someone at 7,800 or whatever, I might. But there's probably going to be a 76, 77, 7,800 fighter who's very likely to go all three rounds in their fight. And that just gives you a much higher floor. We don't need six wins in cash games. We need four-ish, depending on the points you get on each of those. So this is a rare championship fight you're not playing. Or potentially But you not know what? That's, it's not that rare when... Yeah, and it's not that rare when there's two of them on the same card, especially with the early stoppage odds. So, look, just as an example, Tabitha Ricci, 7,500, female fight, very likely to go to a decision. If it's finished, it's probably because she picks up a submission, not her opponent. Her floor is going to be so much higher than either of these heavyweights. Her ceiling's lower, right, which makes her a worse GPP play. But for cash games, you're probably locking in 30 or 40 points, even with a loss with Ricci, and, you know, 80 or 90 with a win. Versus, say, Pavlovich, a few hundred more. He could score you 120 if he gets a knockout in 30 seconds. But if he doesn't, he might score you three. So it makes it tough. And I haven't started building lineups yet. So it kind of determines how much salary we have left, whether we feel like we're giving up anything else by playing one of these guys. By the way, and I'm not saying Aspinall's a bad play, I should say. I've spoken about it with my own lean towards Pavlovich. Aspinall could pick up a ton of takedowns here, early takedown and submission. All those are well in play, too. But if he gets knocked out right away, he's going to score 1.6 points or something. So, big risk. By the way, by the way Richie's four straight fights of 80-plus points. That's a big step up for her. Since we're on the topic and moving on to some of the fights, I actually think she's probably unfairly an underdog here. I Her only loss was at 125 against Manon Fio, who's one of the tougher 125ers. She struggles with the striking, but when she's fighting people her own size, it's not really an issue. That fight against Fio, she took on short notice, up a weight class, against who we've seen as one of the best fighters in the division. I don't think Lupita Godinez represents that kind of challenge for her. Ricci's striking has improved. Godinez is kind of known for her wrestling, but she's just going to wrestle herself into trouble against Tabitha Ricci, who's been a double black belt since she was like 17 years old in judo and jujitsu. So, like, you don't want to take her down. It's You're making things worse for yourself by initiating grappling there. So that'll be an interesting one. Really like her as a floor play at 7,500. Probably not likely to get you a big finish in the first round, but she's not going to kill your lineups. And at her salary, if she scores 80, 85, you're, you're loving it. By the way, I've got a I've got a funny put in the Mackenzie Darren Jessica and Drawing fight. Both women have combined for fifteen submissions. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Dern and Ricci, along with Amanda Hebis and Aaron Blanchfield, are probably you know the top five grapplers in all the female weight classes. For whatever reason, it seems like Ricci, Dern, and um, who's the other one? Hebis. 
Like, they all fight on the same cards. Usually you see at least two of them. If you see one of them, you see at least two. Sometimes all three are scheduled. It doesn't always go that way. I don't know why they do it that way. It just seems to be they're like, hey, all these really high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu women fighters, throw them on the same card. Let's see what happens. Maybe we'll get a cool submission. But yeah, that's a fun one. I don't like that one as much from DFS because whoever doesn't get the submission between Andrade and Dern is probably just on their back and beat up the whole fight. Like, there's no floor on either fighter there, I don't think. And plus, and plus neither one is necessarily going to rack up a lot of points on the feed, so I mean, you, you're relying on an early submission. Yeah, I mean, Andrade could. And if you look at the salaries, like, Andrade just needs a win to pay off at 7,200, where Dern really needs one of those big performances. So I I think Dern deserves to be a favorite for a lot of reasons that we don't need to dive into technically. But in terms of who's a better DFS play, Andrade at 7,200 versus Dern at 9K, I think it's fairly easily Andrade. Yeah, and uh, trying to think, the most expensive fighter on the call this week right now is Jamal Emmers at 9,400. Yeah, probably staying away from him there. He he should have won against Jack Jenkins in his last fight, but even if you had the win bonus there, it's not a great performance from him. I don't have anything against him as a cheaper fighter, you know, but he's top 72 points once in five fights. And he would have got to 79 if the split decision went the other way. So we'll say he topped 80 once in five fights. He'll probably win here, but he's just not like, he doesn't do any of those things we look for from expensive fighters. He's not going to get you 10 takedowns and he's probably not going to get a quick knockout. So how does he pay off his 9,400 salary? I don't think he does. With that said, we got Matos Rombeski back on the card. Original opponent lost to a leg injury. Now he's fighting Roosevelt Roberts, who was cut from the UFC, went to the Ultimate Fighter 31, did not win there, stepping in on short notice. I think Rombetsky, unfortunately, will come in as the most expensive fighter. He could be worth it. Rombetsky is one of those guys who's going to get you a million takedowns and might get you a knockout as well. He's kind of done either or in all of his UFC fights. So Assuming he's added in a similar price range, 95, 96, I prefer Rombeski to either the expensive fighters right now, just because his performances have been so high ceiling. Like he's either got a finish or a ton of takedowns in both of his fights. How about how about just get how about just get ten takedowns and a win and a knockout? Well, it's hard to do both, right? Because if you're taking a if you knock a guy out, you might not have had time for that many takedowns. But I hear I hear you. That would obviously be the ideal situation, but you know, you got three takedowns, 89 significant strikes in his debut, two knockdowns against Loic Radzibov in a second round knockout. Like he's gonna give you good scores, and this'll probably be the easiest fight he's had in the UFC, given the late notice, given the guy who's coming in isn't that great. I mean, where do you rank where do you rank this UFC card compared to other cards this year? I don't know. It's hard to remember back, you know, over the course of the year, all the fights we've seen. I I don't know if I said it to you. I think I said it off air, but it's very top heavy, right? It's two of the most exciting, close, intriguing title fights we've had in a long time. You know, it's not a title fight with minus 500 odds. It's not a title fight with boring fighters. Those are awesome. For a more casual fan, like, you know, I think most people have probably heard of Mackenzie Dern and Jessica Andrade. Matt Frivola, you know, it being in New York is kind of a fun fight. But even on the main card, like, I'm a huge Pat Sabatini fan. I might be the only person who will say that out loud outside of like his mom. So 
And that's a main card fight against Diego Lopez. And as you get to the prelims, like, Steve Ursig has had one or two fights in the UFC. No one's really heard of him. That's the featured prelim against Alessandro Costa. You know, so it's a little bit weaker down the card. But some of these matchups, if you're like a true hardcore, especially if you like grappling, weirdly, there's some really good grappling matchups. You know, both female fights we talked about should be awesome in that area. Jared Gordon fighting Mark Madsen, kind of interesting anytime you get an Olympic wrestler. So there's some other fights that if you're, you know, deep in the game and you got your jujitsu belts on the wall behind you, you might appreciate a little bit more than if you're like, just knock each other out. You know, if you're that guy, you probably don't love the prelims. Maybe just turn it on at like 1130 Eastern. If you're into, you know, some high level submissions and some fancier stuff, it'll be a good card. Um, a couple more topics I want to discuss. Uh, one, uh, I'm pretty sure you heard the UFC 297 title fight being announced, and uh, surprisingly, no Cosmon uh, and heading uh, north of the border to face Sean Strickland. And it is going to be Sean Strickland and DDT for the first year C card of 2024. Yes, we'll discuss in 2024. Yeah, I, I am so glad that DDP, who didn't want to take a fight with a broken foot and wanted to do the right thing and be at 100% when he fought, did not lose his title fight because of that. Because that was a threat. You know, this guy fumbled the bag. Why would he do this? You know, the UFC is all coming after him. Let the man heal up. Let's see him at his best. That's what we should want as fans, is these guys as close to 100% as possible, fighting well. You know, Hamza tore a ligament in his hand, and it's starting to look really strongly like Hamzat can't get into North America to fight. Like if you go through and look at where he's fought, there's a clear pattern there. There's some visa issues. He is a noted friend and I don't know, confidant of Chechenian warlord Kadir uh Ramzan Kadirov, which probably, you know, doesn't make it easy to get into Canada or the US to be a prize fighter. So I think there's something to that where it's gonna be hard to book Hamzat even if he does win a title, because you kind of have to fly people to the middle east or europe to fight him which will be interesting but yeah good for ddp he deserves it he's on like an eight fight winning streak knocked out robert whitaker like yeah he deserves it should be a good fight two guys who aren't going to grapple it's it almost kind of reminds me of yuri p versus Pahea, but a little bit smaller obviously where ddp has this huge power but strickland's going to touch him a million times i guess maybe the more apt comparison is uh Pahea versus adesanya with weirdly Strickland playing the role of Adesanya. He's just going to rack up tons of volume, but DDP can end it in a hurry. So I'm very excited for that fight and very glad that that's the fight they made rather than DDP having to wait around. Because, and sorry, I've gone on a long rant here. You got me started here, Dylan. That's your fault. But assuming DDP wins it, maybe then Izzy will come back and we can get that fight that we were all excited about. They can talk a bunch of lowbrow, distasteful crap to each other and then uh, we'll actually get to see him fight. So it could, if this all goes according to script, might work out really well. Hamza can go fight Paulo Costa or something and then get his turn later. And then, and then all the Aussies can have another, have another party down on the mic. Yeah, I mean, like I said, well, he's from New Zealand. Chill here. But uh, yeah, if I know they, they all get behind him too. I said that, uh, okay, everyone down on the mic. <laughs> all the oceanic people but yeah no i hear you so i i like the booking 
I am very quick to criticize the UFC, especially with some of the title fight bookings. Like, how are we not giving Mosvar a void, or not Mosvar, um, Mirab really the title fight? He's on like a million fight win streak and it's just dominated everyone. But we're doing Cheeto Vera versus Sean O'Malley. And then, you know, after that, Sean O'Malley is going to disappear for a while or try to get a boxing match versus a Paul brother or some YouTube guy or something. So, like, that one I don't like. That's the other title fight they announced. And then, obviously, uh, Volkanovski versus Topuria, but we kind of already knew that was going to be next. Yeah, so there are a couple bit other big anniversaries this weekend. The first one, this is the UFC's 30th anniversary weekend of the UFC of its first card, which ended up being like a tournament-style, bracket-style tournament that uh, Roy Gracie won. In, uh, I believe, Denver, I think Denver, on November 12th, 1993. Yeah, I, I'd have to give back some of my jujitsu rank here if I didn't connect to it. That would be Hoist Gracie. I know it's Hoist spelled with Gracie. an R, but you know how the you know how those Gracies do. It's uh, all the all the R first names are actually pronounced with an H, but yeah, um, I, I didn't know that that it was this weekend specifically until you pointed that out. Obviously, the UFC marketing has been all about the 30-year anniversary all year, so I've kind of gotten a little desensitized to it. So good call pointing out that it was this weekend specifically. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking 30 years ago, I was one, I would have been one when that fight call took place. Yeah, I, I was just shy of my fourth birthday. Obviously, as someone who's made his living both as a fighter and someone who talks and writes and thinks about fighting, uh, shout out to Horian Gracie, I believe was the brainchild there. And, you know, Art One Glove Jimmerman and all the, uh, you know, pioneers of the sport who have made my life possible. Because otherwise, I'd probably be doing something a lot more boring than this. And, you know, my ear would look better and I wouldn't have scars on my head. And you wouldn't have any submission losses either. Well, no, there wouldn't have been a sport, right? Like, no one would have had submission losses. And I, I certainly wasn't going to cut it as a boxer. So here we are. And then uh, this weekend's also the UFC's seventh anniversary of its first event in New York. So um, my last question to you, Billy, is with so many big-time fights in New York, has the UFC... May, has the UFC called? I mean, what is the UFC's biggest of fight that you can remember taking place at Madison Square Garden? I believe the first one in New York didn't it have both George St. Pierre and John Jones on it. Uh, I want to say that was the first one in New York City, but you said seven years ago it would have been. No, it was longer than that. It was 2016. It, it's a it's hard step forward. Bisbing versus St. Pierre, when GSP came back, that was in New York City, November of 2017. Yeah. That's the one I was thinking of. Three title fights on that one. TJ Dillashaw beat Cody Garbrandt for the Bantamweight Championship. Rose Namajunas knocked out Ioana young Jacek and what I believe was a pretty massive upset at the time. Plus, GSP coming back to fight at a weight. You know, GSP obviously Canadian, but he did a lot of his training in New York City with John Donaher and the Henzo Gracie team there. So kind of like in the manner of speaking, a hometown guy there. 
So that that would be my vote off the top of my head. But obviously, I don't know every event that was in New York over over the years since it's been legalized there. I th- yeah, I was thinking back to the 2016 fight where uh, Sterling Conor McGregor fought and became the uh, first two-time first two-time UFC champ, the current champion. Yeah, first, but there's been many since. And McGregor's was a little bit sketchy because he kind of skipped the line here and didn't really deserve all of those title fights in the way that someone like Volkanovski did or John Jones has or Daniel Cormier going between the two divisions and fighting the best guy. So, sure, great. It was cool. I don't want to take anything away from him. But actually, I kind of do want to take something away from him because that was that was about his drawing power more than his mixed martial arts ability. You just you just want to take some of Conor McGregor's money, right? I want that money to be distributed to the people who are better at fighting rather than the ones who are better at talking about fighting. <laughs> that would that would be us, right? What was that? That would be us, right? Well, yeah, we're, I mean, talking about fighting in a different way, but there's just so many guys who, you know, don't get Conor McGregor money, but are clearly more deserving fight. Like, you know, I mentioned off the top of my head, Murad Wallace-Reilly can't even get a title fight against Sean O'Malley despite winning 7,000 fights in a row in dominant fashion. Like, guys like that who don't make a ton of money are considerably better fighters than McGregor, probably even at his peak. But, you know, no one knows their name because he doesn't say a bunch of dumb things and throw dollies at people and punch old men in bars and all kinds of other bad behavior. Which maybe he should. Maybe he should start doing that stuff. Maybe he'd get more title fights. But, you know, not that I'm advocating criminal activity. Maybe that helps, though. All right, Billy. So thanks for off and on. Hopefully the Big Apple is uh, big for both of us this weekend. And we'll reckon in the, uh, fruit, the fruit and the money this weekend. Yeah, it'll be a fun one. I'm I'm really looking forward to building some DFS uh, lineups here. Anyone listening, go ahead and reserve a contest now so you get that email from DraftKings when they add Rombetsky back to the player pool. Super nice when they're doing that. I always like to have one reserved because then you get that notification right away. You get the salaries. You're the first to know. So that'll, that'll be my closing advice to anyone listening to this on a Wednesday. <laughs>